Our scripture passage today is a short one, and it's part of a longer discourse that I invite you to read on your own from Matthew chapter 10. And this is a conversation Jesus has with his disciples as he is preparing to send them out to be missionaries in the world. So hear this word from Matthew 10, 40-42. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. Whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the message you have for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I showed you our welcome mat. Already. Um, this welcome to our home mat uh, came into our lives not too long ago, and um, we've had a couple of welcome mats in the time that Garrett and I have been married, and um, I remember sort of jokingly thinking at one point, hmm, how often do we need that, though? We had a, a strand of solicitors visiting our house for a while last summer. I thought, you know, that welcome mat does not always apply, does it? <laughs> I love being a host, and I love welcoming people into our home, but as I thought about it pretty, pretty, pretty critically, I thought, you know, mostly I love to welcome the people that I invite over. I love to welcome the people I expect to be there. It's kind of conditional, if we're honest about it. And I saw a very honest welcome mat at the store one time. It said in big letters, kind of like this one, welcome, and then there was an asterisk. And in fine print at the bottom of the welcome mat, it said, just kidding, go home. <laughs> so this was obviously a playful uh, sort of welcome mat, but I thought that's probably what most of us mean, right? Welcome to those that we expect to be here. Welcome to those who we invited. But there are sometimes conditions or limits. Sometimes there's fine print. It's really hard to be truly hospitable and open. Just last week, I was uh, at home doing some work up in my office upstairs. Naima had just gone down for a nap and was not quite asleep yet, and there was a knock on my door. And I peeked out the window up on the second floor down at the, at the front door. And it was a neighbor who we love very, very much. But I thought in that moment, oh, this is not a great time. Naima's just about to sleep. She's really trying to get some work done. And I acknowledged in that moment, sometimes welcome can be hard. And welcome doesn't always mean we let people in all the time, whenever. But there are moments when we have to think about what welcome looks like or who and when we're talking 
So this story, these couple verses that we just read, come as Jesus is preparing his disciples for the welcome or the lack of welcome that they are about to receive. They are gathered together, and Jesus has given them power and authority to do all of the wonderful, amazing things that Jesus does to heal, to cast out demons, to teach, to care for people. And he gives them this power, and he says, okay, now it's your turn. Go into the world and do this. And he warns them with these words that they're not always going to be received very well. They're not always going to be welcomed, but that they are ambassadors. They are going in the name of Jesus, and they represent him, which means they represent God, and they are to go out anyway. And so these words that Jesus speaks are sort of twofold about welcoming. First, he tells them to be welcoming. You are to go offer radical hospitality and welcome to all that you meet, to the little ones, to the ones that are insignificant, or children, or poor, or whatever, the, the ones that don't really have a lot of influence, you are to be welcoming to them. But also, he tells them, you are worthy of welcome. You are going in my name as a minister, as an ambassador, and you are worthy of that full welcome as well. Go be welcoming and know that you are worthy. resonate with that feeling of being welcomed. Some of those stories that you shared or that you thought of yourself, we know that feeling. And we also know the fear of not being welcomed. I think, though, that some of us fail to see what's really, really, really at stake. Some of us have not had to think about the power of finding true welcome, because some of us are usually in places and situations where we are welcome, or where we are thought of. Some of us are more often than not in situations where we kind of already belong before we even go. Maybe because of our place in society, the color of our skin, the abilities that we have, the people that we love, the legacy of our their education and money and affiliations. That's not true for everyone. Others of us know what it means for welcome to not be a given. I think of family members of mine in wheelchairs who go into restaurants where they only have high-top tables. Or people I know with darker skin who have gone into boutique stores and been looked at like, are you coming from and why are you here? Depending on who you are and what you look like and what you have with you or don't have with you, it can be difficult to experience welcome just existing, just being in the world. Last uh, Sunday, we talked about delight through the eyes of Ross Gay and his book of delights. And one of the stories that we shared about in our adult education class that touched many of us so much was his uh, delight of loitering. And so if you didn't get the background, Ross Gay, for an entire year, picked one thing every day that gave him delight and he wrote about it. And one day he was just sort of hanging out and lounging in a coffee shop, lazily reading a book, napping every once in a while. He bought a 
so that we always expect people to either be productive or to be consuming something. You can't be here unless you purchase something. This is one of the gifts that we try to provide at WorkTree is to open our doors and say, just come and be. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to be doing anything or volunteering. You can come and exist in our space. For many people, it is dangerous to just exist in a public space in the world. And there are some of us that forget that. You know, I think this past couple of weeks has been uh, eye-opening for many of us because of how bad the air quality has been. Have any of you been feeling it in your lungs or your eyes or your throats? This reality has been new for many of us, at least for this extended period of time where we're having to constantly monitor the very thing we're surrounded by all the time. We have to second guess, is it safe for me to be out? What kind of precautions do I need to take? Should I be taking the young or the old with me? Is it safe to just be and exist out? And unfortunately, this is a reality outside of air, air quality that exists for so many people in our country that have to think about the places where they will or will not be safe and what kind of precautions they have to take and who they need to take with them and what they need to bring. Ibram X. Kendi, the anti-racist teacher and author, said this week, sexism, homophobia, racism, and classism are all connected. We're seeing that dangerous interconnected web sometimes very clearly every day. I'm thinking about how we're preparing to celebrate independence this week, and I can't help but think about how hazy air has become both literally and figuratively for so many people in our society. What do we do with the very things we are surrounded with all the time, the very air, the very being feels unsafe? Who is really welcome? Many times when uh, in this country when we face we hear this saying, this phrase, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And I learned recently the origins of this phrase. It actually, uh, one of the first places it appears is in a physics textbook from the late 1800s, where it's talking about the real impossibility of using your own force to lift yourself up. I saw this play out in real time with Naima not too long ago. She has this uh, toy basket that she likes to get in, and Garrett and I pick it up by the handles and swing her around in it, and she loves it. She wants to do it all the time, and it's only our muscles that tell her, no, we need a break. But she loved it so much, the other day she was like, okay, Naima does it. So she got in the basket by herself, and she tried to pick it up by the handles herself while standing in it, and was so frustrated she couldn't get it. Help, help. It's impossible to lift yourself up with your own weight. And so when this saying first came out, to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, it was meant to be uh, pointing out something impossible and ridiculous. And the way that it was first used was by somebody pointing out how bizarre someone was being 
by thinking they could do something all by themselves. It was a negative thing when it first was used in our language. This person was trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It was sarcastic and ridiculous to show an impossibility. And somehow, over the course of time, it got swept up in the American dream, and now we say it like it's a goal and like it's the standard. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Now, I think some of what this is meant to inspire is really positive, saying, hey, you can work hard and you can overcome and you can have grit and resilience. Yes, those are all things that we want to encourage in one another. But we miss out on the necessity of welcome and of community and of helping one another out when all we're doing is pushing people, particularly people that have been pushed to the side already and marginalized, and tell them to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I wonder what it would look like instead to infuse a message of welcome into that. How can we together pull one another up, help one another develop resiliency and grit, and overcome all kinds of hard things with eyes of welcome and of hospitality. You know, at the end of that um, passage, Jesus offers a very real example. And he says, if you give even a little one a cup of cold water, you are doing a righteous work. And I want us to notice that this is a very practical, tangible thing that Jesus shares as an example of welcome. Jesus doesn't say, if you see a little one thirsty and smile at them, or pray for them, or teach them to get their own cold water. Jesus says, if you give them cold water, you are doing the work of a righteous one. Welcoming is about offering tangible help meeting people where they are and responding to what they're doing. I'll share you with a, a, a story of true welcome that really touched me recently, and it's a story that happened quite a while ago, but the seeds of it are still sprouting today. Ferncliff is a, a Presbyterian camp in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I got to go earlier this year for a pastoral continuing education week. And while I was there, I learned about a special camp that Ferncliff put on. Um, back in 1998. One of the first um, school mass shootings had happened in Jonesboro that year in middle school. And the staff at Ferncliff Camp were really um, impacted by the tragedy and wanted to do something. So they came together and brainstormed with some folks and they decided that they would put on a healing camp for the survivors, for the kids at the school and for any of their family members that wanted so they put on a free week of camp for these folks, and they were so intentional about what it would be like to welcome them fully. They hired really thoughtful, caring experts in trauma and counseling and in conflict resolution and in health in general, and they brought together a community that could really offer the kind of support that these kids needed. And then they were thoughtful too about uh, the space and about what different needs um, 
folks would have based on their experience and their trauma, and they were careful to um, set things up with the kids in mind if they needed space to be alone or if they needed to know where the exits were in the building or all those things they thought through how to address the needs that they have based on their recent trauma. And then they, they made sure that the media was not allowed, you know, this was one of the first big incidents that was just getting national attention, and so they were surrounded, these kids have been surrounded by um, news trucks their entire end of school year, and so they were careful to sort of put this perimeter around the camp and offer protection from that. And then lastly, they really let the campers direct their own experience. They asked them, what, what would you find healing? What are some things that we could support you in? What would help? And one of the things that the campers decided was to do a project together where they would build an outdoor labyrinth in the woods. One of these things, but life-size. It's almost like a little maze, but instead of dead ends, it goes into the center, the holy center. And it's meant to be an exercise in prayer and in patience. And so they built this enormous labyrinth with stones together as a healing project. And it's still there. 25 years later, I got to walk through it and pray for those kids who are now adults and pray for all of the other folks that have been impacted by gun violence in schools and elsewhere. And this camp really took this tragedy and found a way to meet the needs of the people within it, to talk to them about what they needed, to offer respite and hope, to respond to the needs in the moment when they had them, and to be when we welcome other people, truly we put their humanity first. We listen to them. We adjust our own expectations. We offer unconditional love. We are called to offer radical hospitality, and we too are worthy of welcome. Think this week about if there's any fine print under your welcome mat. <laughs> For some of us, it might be fine print that we're not even aware of. It might be invisible even to us. But when is it that we are most welcoming and to who? And who is left out of that? I think many of us who have any combination, and I preach mostly to myself when I say this, any combination of these things, white, straight, cisgender, financial safety net, physically able people are so blind to the wealth and privilege we have. And we often have fine print on our own welcome mats that keep us from being the people God calls us to be. Think this week about your own welcome mat and about who you might erase the fine print for and welcome Holy God, you welcome all of us, no matter what we can produce, no matter what we are able to do, no matter what we say we believe, no matter, no matter, no matter. Remind us of that and who 
your table. Remind us of that in your word and help us to be the people who welcome radically as well. Part of that 